0: and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything
2: like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you.
3: I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people
0: in the forefront and make you see it. Find The Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from The What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024 These are GA plus, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified?
1: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
0: Call
2: 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hi, this is David Frangioni, CEO and publisher of Modern
4: Drummer Magazine. So excited about our new podcast, The Modern Drummer Podcast. This weekly podcast will bring modern drummer to life. Sit back and enjoy fresh, fun, and insightful conversations with today's top drummers, producers, musicians, beatmakers, and craftsmen. Whether you're a professional, a hobbyist, drummer, musician, programmer, producer, or just love music, this show is for you. Every other week, the Modern Drummer Podcast will feature world-renowned producer, songwriter, and drummer, Narda Michael Walden. Narda Michael Walden's Upbeat is featured exclusively on the Modern Drummer Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to today's Podcast, man! What an absolute honor and privilege to have none other than the legendary Kenny Aronoff.
3: You, Kenny Aronoff, yeah, legendary. Kenny. That means I'm an old mofo. If I'm oh, a legend, you, well,
4: you know what, <laughs> man, Kenny, you are. You have been on the cover of Modern Drummer more times than than most people can count. Yeah, uh, Billy Amendola, my partner in crime, uh, and the host yeah. of the most. Billy, you guys have known each other for forever. But, you know, what's really exciting and, and relevant, especially to this podcast, we got to get caught up with you, Kenny, because you got you always have a million current projects going on. Yep. And you just did the festival, the Modern Drummer Festival, which is still yeah. available up, yeah. uh, on moderndrummer.com and live by live. Tell us about that experience because you killed it at the festival. You told an amazing story. You were close with Neil. Mm. Your performance We've done analysis of your performance and all the intricacies. I mean, it's drum heaven. Let's talk about the festival.
3: First of all, I want to thank you. You put me in the awesome slot. (laughs) You put me right (laughs) under one hour. Just when everybody's getting a little drunk or passing out, you put me on. It was a really nice. Thank you for that. Uh, You know, we were just talking about how, you know, somebody tells you, hey, would you do this? And you go, oh, sure. and on paper, when you say it, it's like five seconds, but to execute takes so much more time. And so let me talk about this project. First of all, I wanted to do it at the highest level because it's Modern Drummer. Modern Drummer is the, most, is the greatest drum magazine ever. I got the first issue. I remember getting on a train in Hudson uh, to go to New York City and reading the first issue on the train going to New York and the whole vibe of reading Modern Drummer going into New York City was like, it just, they went in sync with each other. So I wanted to do a killer job for that. I was honored to be asked, but then of course to honor Neil Peart, who was a real good friend of mine who wrote the forward to my book. Uh, and the only reason why I mentioned that is that Neil is a very deep, kind person. There's no way he would have written a forward to my book unless we were, had some sort of relationship and he made that clear to me. So anyway, okay. So in my studio, there's two things I wanted to execute. First of all, I wanted to come up with a drum solo that was, that, that made sense. And because I've played on so many records and recorded so many, ironically the solo after I composed it ended up being three minutes and 27 seconds, which is kind of like a song. That's the time that you want to have a single on the radio. So it was it was just a mistake, but I was already thinking, you know, song form. And if you look at my solo, even though I'm doing like I'm I'm honoring Neil at the beginning, playing Y Y Z, you know that, that which is in five four, but then I go into a six eight, a seven eight groove, and then back to five four and then seven eight. Everything I was doing was mostly in like four measure, uh, phrases, or at the very very most eight, to establish. Even if people don't know what I'm doing. There's a sense of repeating a melody, so you get the people to go, oh yeah, I can get into that, oh yeah, I can get into that, I can get into that. It was always melodic, there was no bs going on. So that was that's tricky, because that means every note has to be in place. So I, 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 to get that solo, I experimented with a lot of ideas, and I kept narrowing it down, narrowing it down, narrowing it down. So once I got my solo together, what I did was I practiced each groove over and over again. Then I would practice the transitions from each groove. So the first groove was like into the 7-8. I had to practice those transitions as if I'd been playing them for a year. Then what I would do is I practiced, I have a 30-minute, I call it a functional practice routine. It's I practice technique that is specifically designed to making me sound great at what I do today. So I would practice that. Then I would practice the the more technical areas of the of the solo. Then I go back and do the solo. And I just keep repeating this. Alright, so the other component in my studio was I had just installed like four K cameras with lighting. One for where the drum set is and one for where I would speak. This is all geared to the corporate speaking uh, things I do. And because of COVID, I wanted to create a, uh, I wanted to be able to do virtual speaking for my studio. Once again, that sounded easy on paper until I started getting into it and getting it installed. And oh my God, there were so many complications with lighting and glare and this and that. So I was putting both these worlds together. And so this is the funny part was that I finally got the solo done right. And I went to my camera, and I noticed the SD card had, was full. So <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But th- there's, a, there's a gift in all of it. So I know when I, you know how drummers get that look on their face, and they're really trying real hard. So when I didn't, when the, the SD card was filled, I was, like, I was like, damn. I got pissed, and I went, no, Kenny, be cool. Be like the surfer. On a, on a wave, you can't predict what the wave's gonna do. Or be like a Jedi, you know, be cool while all this danger is going. In other words, I just said, be cool, man. But here's the beauty of it, the takeaway from it. Uh, I said, Kenny, you know, you'll get it when you get it. Just it might be in two days, it might be in one day, it might be in three days. Just be cool. And if you notice at the end of my solo, I'm smiling. And because I had that attitude to just be cool, when I was at the hard part and I was smiling, my whole attitude was be cool. And instead of looking like, uh, uh, I was more like smiling. And I was like, oh my God, that was a smart lesson I gave myself to make it kind of, you can get the same thing done from a positive angle or a negative angle. And that was the lesson I learned from making this solo for Modern Drummer. And the final component was the speaking part, and I just wanted it to be all. By the way, both these things were not edited. Everything was one take. I wanted to flow, and my 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 speech about uh, Neil, even though yeah, let's not.
5: Let's. I'm going to stop you though, because you know that we're doing uh, the festival issue for uh, the February issue. So I don't want you to tell that story because they're Uh, going to in the magazine.
3: Yeah, I won't I won't tell the story. I'll just say that I spoke. So, um so when I spoke about Neil, that was a very heartfelt thing for me because there's a story there. I didn't want to just say Neil's a great drummer, obviously he is, but I wanted to tell a story about the man and then end with he's this incredible drummer that played with Rush. So, that experience was just unbelievable and it took a lot longer than I expected, but the 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 end result, I was so happy about it.
5: Uh, it came out great you you were definitely one of the highlights okay because it was it did feel very, really natural and that's the great thing about having your own studio you know yeah. you don't have to now now you can relax and, you know people that you know you're not under the gun you're not under the pressure you're not paying for all that studio time like back in the day i mean think about back in the i've been on in the studio with you so many times watching you do sessions you were kind enough to invite me to the studio i yeah. and you know back then three hundred dollars an hour for a studio and that clock is ticking boy and everybody's looking the person who's paying is like he's looking around he's like you guys got this you ready you got this so the beauty of having your own studio now that's 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 one of the good things in the new world yeah. i guess
3: well the thing is that but i do put pressure see the cool thing is i'm, I'm i was trained like once you're a navy seal you're a navy seal so the thing is, what I'll do, uh, my studio doesn't cost anything because so I give that for free, but uh, I am paying my engineer. <laughs> so I I, I, write every, I write every single note out for every song I'm going to do uh, before I go in there. And I, I'll do as many, I mean, I've done as many as 10 in a day. I prefer not to because I, the, I want more quality. And I do three takes of every song. I mean, I give the artist three takes of every song. One, that's just, you know, everything that they had programmed on their song. Because, you know, they always go, oh, do what you want. And they never mean that. So I will play a version exactly what they program, what the sequence is. Then I'll give them another version that's kind of, I'll embellish it a little bit. And finally, the third one, I'll say, you know what? In the bridge, I'm going to the floor, Tom. I start adding different fills. And they tend to go for the second and third take. And sometimes I'll even do a fourth take if I feel like, you know what, I I could do something even more. And I, I don't mind. But I I am, you're right, I'm a little more relaxed, but I am definitely trying to execute to get uh, the job done because I do have to pay an engineer. Uh, you know, and, I, and, and, and I'm trying to make my rates reasonable so that people can afford. With Nobody's got record deals. A lot of people... A lot of people I record for don't have any record deals. They're paying out of their pocket, and so I do it. So it's very it's fair for them, but it's fair for what I bring to the table in in forty years of experience and three hundred million records sold. I've been on. I mean, I've got I can give people quality. You know. Well, and that, that, I want talk that's about
4: functional problem. practicing for a second because you're doing a Legends book with modern drummer that's going to come out next year. That's all based around the functional practicing concept that you've innovated and that you yeah. talked about, you applied in the, uh, you know, in the, in the festival, uh, prep and, yeah. and practicing. So talk about that a little bit, cause that's really, that's some hip news for everybody to know about Kenny's upcoming
3: book. Well, um, the thing is, is that, um, time is the most valuable thing in my life. You know, and I even talk about that in my speech. It's The the final thing I say, you know, everything we could talk about everything. I mean, obviously, health is important, but it all relates to the time. Time is so precious. Days just fly by. Life is short. So I designed a practice routine that doesn't waste any time. What do I need to what? Who is Kenny Aronoff? What is his style? what am i playing what do people need from me what do they expect from me how am i gonna sound great 100%, a hundred percent a plus plus every day session live it doesn't matter i came up with a routine that touches on the most basic things that will make me sound great whether it's double bass drum whether it's single uh, my hands when i practice with my hands and i'm doing hand exercise I include my feet. When I'm doing double bass drum practice. anything with the foot, I include my hands because I'm trying to get as much accomplished at, at, in a short amount of time. Because when you play the drums, most of the time you're using at least three of your four limbs, you know? And so I try to, in a nutshell, I'm trying to get as much accomplished as possible in a short amount of time.
5: No, that, that, that's good, but- And that's what the book covers.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's to help people design their own uh, routine that makes them sound great. In other words, I could practice all kinds of odd meter stuff, Latin, African, all these other things. That's fine after I take care of business, after I take care of my foundation, my fundamentals that make me sound great. Then I can do that other stuff and implement that into my playing. But first take care of the basics
5: and that that's well that and that's also your passion but you're having fun doing this this is this is oh absolutely
3: absolutely
5: because yeah, yeah. that's a, that, yeah all absolutely points, I mean those...
3: I mean absolutely Billy I mean the thing is it all starts with coming you know what you do in life and I talk about realizing your purpose in life like you probably I saw the Beatles on TV. I went. That's what I want to do. Uh, that was. I realized what my purpose in life is. And when I talk about purpose, that means you're doing something from a place in your heart, not just your head, because you know, words are just ideas, and and but feelings are the truth. And feelings and the truth are who you are. And who you are in your heart is what drives you. That's what your purpose. That's what you want to do. That's what I want to do every day. As soon as I saw the Beatles, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted my mom to call up the Beatles. I asked her, call the Beatles up and get me to, so I can play with the Beatles. Because I didn't know what else to say to her. I'm 10 years old. She didn't call the Beatles up, so I started my own band and we played Beatles music. I could only afford a snare drum and a cymbal. My mom went down uh, to Manny's in, on 48th Street and got it. And uh, and that's what I did. And then, of course, fifty years later, I'm playing with the Beatles, honoring them for that, uh, you know, let Ed Ed Sullivan show that we all saw. And here I am. Oh my God, this is this is amazing. This is dreams come true. But man, I I, I want to say, man, dreams come true. But you have to take action. I, I I mean, this zero equals zero. If you do nothing, you get nothing. And if you nobody's born successful, so you have to make your success. We all have trials and tribulations and, and and we have to go through adversive type of things in our life you know i you know I, I know dave you've been through stuff you know we've all been through stuff we've all had things happen but when you take action and it comes from a place of passion and a, something that you love in your heart like what you're talking about billy you will persevere because you're driven to work hard you're driven to be self-disciplined you're driven to persevere no matter what, because you cannot stop yourself from doing what you want. When you do what you want and you're coming from a place of purpose, you are unstoppable, undeniable, and you're authentic. It's so obvious, this is who I am. I am unstoppable, I can't even stop myself. I mean, at night, I don't even want to turn the lights off because I'm like, God, I could just get one more thing done. Oh, oh, I'm so excited about what I'm doing. I can't wait to wake up, but why go to sleep? But, oh, I better go to sleep because I know that's healthy. And, you know, I just can't stop. I just love it.
5: Well, that, that, but that, you see, that's proof that we, we all do these things um, because that's our passion and we just do them. You don't even realize when you're growing up and, you, and you're doing, you know, yeah. getting into this lifestyle that you're just doing yeah. it that just, that just becomes a way of life so this has become a way of life for, for you and yeah. basically all, anybody that succeeds but the point is you, you can't just like you don't sit back and rest on your laurels you know you don't say oh man you know i i did all this stuff and you know oh, now yeah. oh I, don't no. have, I don't have to get any better i don't have to i don't have to call people and try to get work everybody knows i'm great what you know what, what do i get no that's not you you just you're built. You you know that you got to keep learning. And you got to keep going. You got to keep yeah sing And 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 you gotta you gotta get to the top. It's very hard to stay at the top. Yeah.
3: Oh, and, you are so you know,
5: spot on. No, somebody's waiting at that door, man. As soon as you get knocked out that door, the next person's right in that door.
3: Oh, absolutely. But you know, if you're doing, you know, I'm lucky. I guess I'm lucky, I've, I'm kind of what you call the hyper achiever. Now a hyper achiever is somebody, it's made my career. On the other hand, when Jack, like for example, when Jack and Diane became number one, on and back then when you were number one, this is not like, you know, nowadays they got 800 charts. You could be number one and sell five records. This is right. back when it was like, it was single radio, remember it was just top 40 or top 100 radio stations and then the album rock. If you were number one oh, on, on both those stations, on both those platforms, oh my God, you you are obnoxiously on the radio You made it. That was, like you, that was you, like you. made I, it. I, it was like, yeah, you were set for life. What happened was when that I heard that song went to number one, I was excited for two seconds. It was like, oh my God, I went, oh my God. How am I going to do this again? I'm right. not number one. I'm not really that good. What about Billy Cobham? What about, you know, Steve Smith? What about Steve Gadd and on and on? I'm like, I'm not those guys. Oh, my God. How am I going to do it again? Oh, my God. John Mellencamp hasn't written that song yet. So how am I going to come up with a part? I was going through this whole thing of like, oh, my God. I, I, it's almost like scoring a touchdown. You go, okay, that's cool. Give me the ball again. I I just I just – I just want to do it again and get that feeling. Actually I'm addicted to that feeling of yeah. success.
5: But that's and, the passion. That yeah. that's what makes that's what makes you do the best that you possibly can and, and continue to do the best. That's the same thing with me. I always go I do something and everybody goes, Oh man, I was gonna and I my head first thing pops into my head, next.
3: Yeah, that's exactly that's no matter exactly. no matter
5: everybody's yeah. like, why aren't you happy and satisfied with what just happened? Next. Yeah, that's
3: that's what I'm talking about.
5: So that's, let's uh, let's go let's go back because um, we touched on the Beatles um, and and you know we're both such huge Beatles fans and Ringo yeah. fans. Let's talk a little bit about that 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 feeling of all those years later, like being with Paul and Ringo and then playing and honoring them for the Grammy Awards and let, yeah, let's just touch a little bit on that.
3: Well, not only did I get to play with. Paul and Ringo, I got to play with you know, because I was in the, uh, the the rhythm section of the band, you know what Don was. So I played with like Stevie Wonder, who's a obviously a hero. I played with uh, Dave Groh, who's a buddy of mine. But Dave was Jeff Lynn, you know Joe Walsh from the Eagles, Keith Urban, John Mayer, Alicia Keys, John Legend. I mean, it was incredible. But and and I had done the Grammys the night before with Ringo, so right. I, I did. I I'd never done this before to t- to add the cherry on the ice cream. Uh, or the, Yeah, on the ice cream uh, (laughs) is I got to I got to do (laughs) I don't eat ice cream that often. I love it though. But anyway, I got to do the highwaymen with the. There was only two existing Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson. They had to fill in with other people. I'm doing the highwaymen and Ringo the night before at the Grammys and running back and forth for rehearsals. As a matter of fact, I got Greg Bizonette to fill in for me for the highwaymen rehearsal at the Grammys for the camera block and he's such a cool guy to sub for you because he's just honors, you know, I'll do whatever I can to make you look good. Anyway, so I I, I had met Ringo. I had played a, 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 it was like an event that honored Ringo uh, two weeks prior. But after that, after me playing with those nine artists during the show, there's 30 minutes left and I walk out to look for my wife, Gina, in the audience. And there are these elite seats in the middle of the arena. It was like Tom Hanks, his wife, Ringo Starr's his wife, Paul McCartney, his girlfriend, uh, George uh, Harrison's widow, uh, Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono, Sean Lennon, and some actors like Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, and Sean Penn. And I'm going by there, and there's Ringo. They're all sitting down, but Ringo's applauding and going, bravo, bravo, Mr. Irinoff, bravo, Kenny, and I'm like, and all of a sudden it hit me, that whole thing, oh my God, that's the, God, I just, thought I wanted to be a Beatle so much, and he's sitting down <laughs> and applauding, and so I'm looking around, and everyone's kind of looking at me, because there I am with these people. So I get down on one knee, and he goes, uh, Kenny, that's okay, I'm already married. And uh, <laughs> I know keep, can you picture that? He's so funny, you know? Oh yes, I so, can. Yeah, so I said, no, 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 no. And I was literally fumbling going, oh my God, I'm gonna say something stupid. And what it was, was it, it was the thing that was coming from my heart. And it was just, I just said, look, you're the reason why I play drums, Ringo. You're the reason why I play rock and roll. And you and the Beatles set me on a course at 10 years old that I've been on ever since. And I remember thinking, I know you've heard this before. And he says, no, no, no. And his wife was like tearing. And I went, oh, my God, they don't mind hearing this eight billion times. <laughs> and, and, and when I walked away, I kept, I, that's when I went, you know what? It's true, man. In order to be great at something, to get to this point, and that's the whole point of the story, to, why was I asked to be the drummer on that show? Because I was still relevant, I was still happening. I was still Kenny Aronoff, 40 years later, and that's I got the call. And that's the lesson learned: is that you know you don't just sit on your chair waiting for the call. You go out there and you perform, and you record, and you practice, and you work hard, and you communicate and collaborate, and then you get lucky and you get the call. Uh, And so. I realized that, you know what? To be great at something, you got to really love it. It's got to come from your heart in order to last that long and persevere. And one more thing. At that show, I got to hang out with Paul and Ringo for 45 minutes. With Don Was, Ben Montenge from Tom Petty's band. There might have been one other person. It was this intimate hang. And, I mean, it was like hanging out with your brothers or something. Maybe even better. They were so nice. And they're talking about, Paul goes... Hey, Ringo, do you remember that time when we were little kids in uh, in Hamburg? We thought we were old because we were smoking fags, which is cigarettes. <laughs> they thought they were old in their 20s. And they went into a music store. And back then, you know, rock and roll was new. So the, the guy at the music store was like kind of like in the... He had a tie on. That's what it was. White shirt. Might have had a suit jacket on. He was probably a jazz guy or something. And they're playing this chord. And, and oh, I know it it, it was John Lennon and Paul. And Paul goes, hey, Johnny, check out that chord he's playing. What is that? And they asked the guy, and it was some minor chord. And he says, we used it only twice. And the first time we used it was in the song Michelle. It was some minor chord. He says, we only used it twice. But Paul enjoyed sharing that story with us because he knew we were like, oh, my God. Right, right. And, the other, and the other thing he said was when they came to New York, they didn't. They just thought they were this little band from Hamburg. And they're going to the Ed Sullivan Theater and there's all these kids everywhere and big Appaloosa horses with police. And Paul goes, what's going on? What's going on? And the, the driver says, I think that might be because of you guys. And he went, really? And they get in there and right before, this is what Paul said, right before they walk on stage, the guy taps him on the back, slaps him on the back, says, hey kid. How do you feel playing in front of 72 million people? And Paul said, Paul said, what a crazy thing to say to a bunch of young musicians before they go on stage. And, and he said, the reason why they were always bobbing their head because everybody was screaming so loud they couldn't hear each other. So they would be doing this so everybody would know what was going, they would know. And the people, the camera guys, they said, they only had like, you know, things that cover their ears to hear what the producer was saying. Camera five, bring it in. Camera four, back off. Well, they couldn't hear any of the direction because the kids were screaming. That's what made them, those TV people, invent the soundproof ear coverings so they could hear what the producer was saying and not hear all the crowd noise.
5: I know. It's
3: it's, it's pretty amazing. We're,
5: We're pretty blessed to be able to hear those stories from them themselves because it, it, they they created so many so much technology and so so much in music without even knowing that they were creating it so pretty cool
3: pretty cool and that was life changing
5: magic yeah magic those are magic that it, 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 like you said that's what you work for to get to the mountaintop and that that's part yeah. of, that's one of the mountaintop and then Je- Jerry Lee Lewis right didn't you just come back uh, from Jerry oh
3: my Lee Oh god <laughs> Yeah, Jerry okay, Lee Lewis' so, uh,
5: birthday party, right?
3: Yeah. With his cousin, Jerry just turned 85, but so did his cousin, Jimmy Swaggart, and his other cousin, Mickey Gilly. 85 years old, these guys are, and they all grew up like in the like Louisiana swamps. And, and Swaggart's son, by the way, everybody, I flew there because, first of all, the Beatles were influenced by Jerry Lee Lewis, and I mean, we're going to the roots. These guys invented rock and roll. I, I mean, I mean Jerry Lee Lewis. There's a famous picture. I think it's called the Million Dollar Quartet. Is that what it is? It's Johnny Cash, Jerry yes. Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, and Elvis. They all ended up at Sun Studios with uh, uh, what's uh, uh, Sam uh, Phillips. And somebody was there to collect the check. Jerry Lewis was just a house piano player. They ended up there, and Sam convinced them, hey, uh, guys, uh, why don't you write a song? And he went in and hit record. And they they, they, they they did this amazing thing. Anyway, Jerry was revered by all of everybody. There was nobody like Jerry, even Little Richard and, and Chuck Berry. And they all looked and the Rolling Stones would like, and the Beatles were all like, Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee, Jerry Swaggart's son tells me a story about how Jerry and Jimmy, little, little, little kids, they would go and listen to the black musicians playing in some, it wasn't, it could have been just a a building or a shack or whatever, because it's in the swamps. There's no, there's no money down there. Could Could be on somebody's,
5: could be on somebody's porch.
3: Could be. So they go knocking on this guy's. Uh, door one day, and the guy goes, "Whoa! What are you guys doing here?" Because it was obviously in the, his neighborhood, and didn't expect to see these two little, you know, blonde-haired kids there. <laughs> and, and he says, "We want to know what chord you're playing." And that, and he goes, "Chord? How do? You, what do you listen? How do you know what I'm playing? Where you listen? Where have you heard me play?" So well, we go out and we listen to you play outside that door, or outside that wall. Anyway, that guy. The, uh, the musician taught them this chord and they developed in the 50s basically what became boogie-woogie rock and roll. I right, mean, they right. just took it and created their thing. And, oh my God, to hear those stories? And, I mean, I flew there because there's only a few of them left. Jerry Lee, or Swaggard, of course, Mickey Gilly, but, you know, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson. When they go, it's over. These are the ones that invented my life what I do. So I went there to celebrate Jerry Lee Lewis's birthday party. And we gave him a birthday present, which was a six shooter pistol. Cause that's what Jerry loves guns. <laughs> and so, Dude, this guy, I mean, and, and so I'm going to say this humbly. This was, I didn't realize this, but Jerry's wife, you know, and by the way, everybody wrote, uh, uh sent in like little videos, like Joe Walsh, uh, Chris Isaac, um, you know, um, John Fogerty, Tanya Tucker, uh, I could go on and on, uh, Sam Phillips' son, uh, J- uh, Billy Gibbons. I I text Billy. As soon as I saw his son, I went, Billy, you don't get to believe where I am. I just saw your video. It's amazing. And I'm with Swaggart, Mickey Dilley, and Jerry. In five seconds, Billy's calling me says, are you with the three of them? The three of them. They haven't been together for 30 years in the same room. Are they there? you got to take a picture. I went, dude, I, I, I will, if I can. i got to get off the phone because I'm about to perform. He went, oh, go, <laughs> go, go, go. I mean, Billy got it. He actually got it. But here's the killer. So Jerry Lee Lewis's uh, wife takes a moment at one point point. goes, you know, we're all family here. We're in a little living room. There's only like 20 people there. And um, so, uh, he goes to Kenny, the guitar player. Kenny how long you been with Jerry? 53 years, ma'am. And then he goes to the bass player, how long, Ray, have you been with uh, with the Jerry? On and off since the 90s, ma'am. And then she goes, you know, a little while back, uh, Jerry was, like, getting frustrated. He felt like he needed someone to drive the band, and he was shaking his head, and then she turned around and looked at me and goes, then we got Kenny Aronoff. And I went, I went oh, you're on camera. Don't, don't make any, like, don't open your mouth wide, like, holy shit. I went, um, oh, yeah? Apparently, I didn't realize that when I came in, I had this fire and this spunk that Jerry was like, yeah. And I guess I should have known because at about, let's see, I did a show with no rehearsal. Jim Keltner called me up because he couldn't do it or didn't want to do it. And so I do it, no rehearsal. I do the show. And about midnight, I get a text from somebody saying, "It's with Jerry." Says Jerry's still talking about you, your, your drumming. Then I get a text at three in the morning. Says Jerry can't stop talking about this drummer. Then I wait in the morning at nine a.m. I get a call. Yeah, Jerry's still talking about this drummer. Would you do other gigs with him? I went, "Are you kidding me?" I'm there, man, just to just to look at him. Anyway, that's the story. <laughs> and, then th- got, and then you
5: got and you got to play because you sent me the little clip of of you playing in the living room. <laughs>
3: Oh, dude, you're doing Amazing Grace with Swaggart. He's the Elvis Presley of, of, you know, preachers. And he did a prayer. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's Swaggart. That's where he goes. Comes up to me and says, son, God's given you a gift. You're the greatest drummer in the world. God has given you the gift. I mean, he said it with all that preacher's vibe. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is incredible. That's cool. I love this. I love this stuff.
5: Before, before, before we bring on a special guest, I'm not going to tell you who, but we're going to bring on a special guest. But one more thing, I I, I want to talk about before we go. The uh, you just made a deal with LP, right?
3: Absolutely. I'm so excited. I mean,
5: we got some new, pro- new some new Kenny products coming.
3: Eventually, we're going to come up with something. Right now, I've created this. Did I send the picture of that big ass drum kit I made? It's a percussion kit. I mean, they they got a cajon where the bass drum beater hits it from the side. Then instead of a snare drum, I have like this. It's like a garbage can with a head on it with all these like jingles and and snares and and I play with uh, uh like like you know they have these cajon plastic sticks or so I play with these Vic Firth uh plastic uh six oh sixes d six. Route six oh sixes, 606 is i think then i tuned the bongos down way down and put tape all over it so it sounds thirty. then i have a headed tambourine those are my toms headed tambourine tuned way down um and it's, uh, so it's real thuddy. And then I go around, I have a little teeny tom, a little 16-inch kick drum. On top of that, a tabla. Then I have their timburos tuned way down as to- tom's over there. Then I have, they have this big... Where the hell like, do you um,
5: find the time to do all these things?
3: <laughs> I know. Dude, I get obsessed. Dude, it's <laughs> been a week on this. And I sent, I, call, I sent a video to LP. The only way I could get it, I call it the Headless crotch jam and what, what it is it's dude, I. It's like you, there's a picture of me doing this cool funky thing I actually I did some of the Neil Neil Pert solo on it just to show them And by the way I got hi-hats a remote hi-hat with two 10-inch splashes as my hi-hats over there anyway you can't see my head and the camera's kind of so you can get all the equipment it's kind of getting my crotch because I'm you know <laughs> you know so I call it the headless crotch jam Anyway, this stuff is amazing. We just did a photo shoot. I, I, I didn't realize how, they make their stuff so well. It's so badass. It's like just badass. And I just, I have to do this uh, Timbali solo for Edgar Winter called me up and wants me to do this thing. He's doing a tribute to Johnny Winner. So I thought, oh, Frankenstein. No, it's not Frankenstein. It's, it's a, I don't know if I'm supposed to say what's on. It's a Stone song, but they said, can you get four Timbales? So I said, well, I suppose I'm with LP. I called up. I felt bad because I don't use Timbales that much. I said, listen, I'll borrow a set of four. Just I need four pitches. No problem. They just sent me. I mean, these things weigh 100 pounds. I mean, they make their stuff so friggin' good. It's ridiculous. I'm that, that so excited.
5: Martin Cohen started that company. He he, he he invented a lot of those percussion instruments. So lp's a good company i mean there's a lot of good percussion companies but lp is yeah. uh is definitely uh good Very well shiny. listen uh last week i was talking to to a good friend of ours um mickey curry and he wanted me to send big love to you so i invited him on to the show
3: oh that is I want to say sick. hello to the one and
5: only mickey curry
3: <laughs> welcome mickey good to see you I guys
2: kenny what's up
3: Dude, How you doing, man? I, uh, I have not seen you. I know, and I'm scared. <laughs> hey, you, you still look, look good. You, you look still, great, man. You, you look still great. got you, you still got your hair. Well, yeah, I need a haircut. Uh, uh, now, don't cut it, It's, it's March, Man, you know, so you look great, man. You, you remember? remember man, I
2: was I was uh, thinking about this today. Do you remember uh, the first time we hung out together? Was it Was it in New York City on the street? No, it was in Farm Aid it was army way back and it was you me you me stan lynch liberty devito and we went running what? around we were running around like little kids and oh my we, god they had that so, bank they had that po- the pay phones that they had like oh yeah 30 pay phones on poles out in the middle of a muddy field of course and what, we went what, out we went out what, and we called Robin Flans and said, "You've got, you've got the cover of the year. You just got to get somebody down here to take a picture."
3: <laughs> it was so funny, dude. Well, well, funny with Stan Lynch there, it would yeah. be funny. Yeah, it hey, would. Oh yeah, yeah. live stand, oh. stand on this end and live
2: on this end. It was like, <laughs> wah, wah,
5: wah, wah. you know, I I just I just got off the phone with Liv about a half hour before oh, uh, great. before we did this. I tried to get him come on. He goes, Kenny, I'm sick of Kenny. I don't want to. Oh cry yeah, you. <laughs> that's Liv. But him. nah, he, yeah, <laughs> that's Liberty. He couldn't he? He had, he had to do a session, so he couldn't do yeah.
3: it. Hey but Mickey, he said, so he what's, sends
5: Big Love? Yeah.
3: Ahead, oh please. yeah, dude. This is man uh what what city was that what farmade was that mickey it was i think it was 85 so
2: it would have been uh out in the middle of a cornfield someplace out in indiana it was
3: near you guys i think because i played your kid oh indiana that was in yeah there was, it was that's the first when, i think it was the first one And that's when, no, no, first one was in
2: 1986 in Champaign, Illinois. Okay, well, that, that, it was early, or it was, it was early, so. If it was in, was that the,
3: Indianapolis was the one when Guns N' Roses came back, and, and uh, they played at that one, and I think I, I, and I was playing, you know, Mellencamp, we always, the band always played with a lot of people. I was playing with, like, eight bands, and, and then Bruce Hornsby went, God damn it, Kenny. What's your what's your what's your percentage today? I went. Well, I'm about at whatever it was eight percent. Well, I'm going to bring it up to ten percent. You want All to come right. out and play bongos with us? <laughs> and so nice. I did. Wow. A, well, buddy, a, you're
2: the you're the guy for that <laughs> stuff anyway, man. You if anybody can just drop in behind a drum kit and play. Better
4: well, no,
3: me- I I have to, it takes a lot of work. Know. I write every note out. I, I, I know can't you mem- do. I can't memorize. I have the yeah, worst you, memory, buddy it's beautiful how you play
2: man i, I love it uh, I, no, you... You play. I got so excited because i got to sit on the side of the stage and watch you play and you were playing mm. you you were you know house band there that night yeah you I was were on everything band. but you were nice enough to let me use your kit for a couple of songs and it was really fun of but course. i remember running around we were in merle haggard's tent we were <gasps> what yeah we went God. running around it was it was nuts and stan was like oh, you know the gang leader right oh Ranger. yeah so oh, yeah it was
3: really fun. oh my god i wish i remembered the
2: details yeah, yeah, no because, it was fun i just dude, remember that's that, and then i did see you in new york uh, uh, down uh, outside. yeah of on SIR. the street yeah out of, outside of s.i.r you were i don't know what you were doing
3: there you were probably Who doing knows? 100
2: things there yeah and, probably
3: yeah. and i remember when you was it was uh it was with some of the hall of notes guys it was yeah. well definitely with uh, uh, uh you know t-bone walk which yeah. was one of the saddest
2: yeah. things when uh, he passed okay.
3: away it was t-bone i think it, i think it was t-bone you me and it might have been Brian Doyle oh yeah and a couple of those champion guys yes. all of us and Brian what a smart ass you know what that guy did to me once we were in <laughs> yeah you know what's coming I don't forget
5: Japan. we're on we're on you know we're on yeah
3: yeah okay yeah. this is this is okay so we're in Japan <laughs> and I'm I'm the house drummer for 10 yeah. bands hall of Notes is there yeah. So I come in after a long rehearsal. I am like so tired yeah. I come in. Brian says he's Brian's walking through the lobby, cocky, and with uh, maybe it was John and Daryl. I don't know with Daryl maybe. Yeah. I think it was Daryl. He goes, "Kenny, what are you doing? You're, I'm, I'm going to my room. So you coming with us?" Says, "And I'm going." Poor excuse. Yeah. I go, "I can't, Brian. I got my bag." Grabs my bag, throws it. Some little Japanese guy says, "What room you in? 1049. Put it in 1049." Grabs him by my neck, throws oh, no. me in the car. All right. We go out, and we go into Rapungi and he says, hey, man, have you ever uh, had this stuff called absinthe? I said, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) For all those that are listening, it's about 8,000 proof. So he says, let's do a shot. So I do a shot. He says, let's do another. Dude, you only do one of those things. I did three, and I'm playing foosball. He says, Let's, he's an incredible foosball player. Yeah, so yeah. good, he plays back with is. He says, lift your men up. He was scoring he from back, back there. One yeah. shot, bam, like, boom. Yeah, he Dude.
2: was nasty with that stuff.
3: Right. Really so, competitive. Very competitive. So yeah. there's a Navy guy, American Navy guy playing us. His neck is about that thick. And I, I was lifting weights and stuff, but I'm on this absence. The guy kept messing with me and messing me. I finally jump over the foosball table, get the guy in the headlock, just joke. I went, I'm gonna arm wrestle you, man. You are a wimp, blah, blah, blah. I, I started arm wrestling, finally Brian grabs me by my neck and drags me yeah. up the stairs and throws me in a cab. Needless to say, the next day I had a a photo shoot interview and I was so hungover, I was laying on my back it, like, uh, like Jesus Christ and, yeah. pa- and passed out. But here's the best part of the story. About thirty years later, I run into a guy who's his cousin. And says Brian wasn't drinking; he was taking this. He was doing this
0: oh, over his no. shoulder.
3: That's Brian Doyle. Yeah, he was a sneak, He was that sneaky. sneaky man.
2: But and, you know, it's it's hard enough being in Japan. The culture shock. The times yeah. change. The whole. Yeah. You know, you're you're never awake. You're you're always sort of in a dream thing, and for a guy to do that to you. Oh, dude, not that cool. hey, uh,
3: not cool, but it's a great story. I, I a did, great story. I think I, I think, dude, you're gonna. Be, I think I was about to get sick. Yeah. In my and I, I called up Will Lee, who was in Japan, and I'm talking to him as I'm getting sick. Yeah. Terrible, man. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that
5: you yeah, you're not supposed to have more than a little bit of that because you could hallucinate. You hallucinate
3: on that. I was, yeah. dude. I saw the little, uh, those little, uh, what you were calling. You know, I saw the little men. The football guys. Oh yeah, they <laughs> were running on their own. They were moving on yeah. their own. Yeah, yeah. they were they, talking they were, back. They you're, were tripping. Talking. you're tripping. You're tripping, man. Yeah. All right, I, so listen. I, I, I never I, had any sense. Never had any the, sense. The
5: moral of that story is we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, right.
3: <laughs> I never did it after that day. Yeah. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> Dangerous. All
5: right. So while I well, before Kenny, before you go, while I have you two guys, Kenny, tell me what you love about Mickey as a drummer.
3: Feel, taste, uh, feel, taste, groove, time, uh, and incredible parts serves the song. He's, he's the guy that. What he does is what I aspire to be. You know, it's guys like him and Steve Gad. It's just, it's perfect. Feel, Mickey. You were born with incredible feel and time. You know.
5: I agree, one hundred. The two,
3: the two, the two most important things. And being a drummer, after you play the right parts, it's time and feel. It just always gets down to time and feel. And Mickey's Mickey. got
2: that. Thanks, man. That's Mickey. really nice, Kenny. Thank you, man. Coming from you, that's that's unbelievable.
5: Uh,
3: well, I mean it, man. Speechless. Always thought Thank that. Thank you. Yep. Very, very kind. Now, got,
5: Mickey, same thing with you. Yeah, okay. Tell me about Kenny as a Kenny,
2: drummer. Kenny's the guy everybody wants to be, man. Kenny, Kenny knows exactly the right notes, where to put them. He keeps it simple, uh, keeps it meaty. Uh, His choices, it's all the right choices, you know? Everybody's got their little bag of tricks and their little arsenal of weaponry, right, when they sit down to play. Well, Kenny's got all that stuff, and he just takes this one and this one and the choices he makes as he goes through a track. And it's so unique and uh, personal to him. You know, you know it. You know it's Kenny. Second, the second you hear that snare drum,
5: yeah, yeah,
2: I, I, it's just such a signature thing. And uh,
5: it, it, talk and about
2: it, you know aspiring to be man. Kenny's one of those guys you watch him play. You either want to quit, <laughs> yeah, or you either want to quit and go out. Well, I can't do that. Or it's so inspiring that you just want to go home and woodshed. You know, just work whoa. it out. Man. Just try. Thank to you. It.
3: That's, That's awesome. Too good. I,
5: shit, I, 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 <laughs> I, I agree 100% with both you guys. You've both been huge influences on me, you know, my whole life, and and not only as drummers but as people. And I can't stress that more than enough to yeah. everyone. You know, it's personality has so much to do with making it in this business because you both you guys with everything that you've that you've accomplished. you know you're both so down to earth. You know you you're both still just you know you don't act, walk around like some people do you know thinking who the hell you are and it's like there's nobody better than you but I, I can't stress that how important yes we all have you have to be a great great player and both you guys are beyond that but personality wise I can't stress enough to the younger generation that, that that's coming up and even some of the old guys that I guess you can't you know, teach it you know an old, an old dog new tricks but it's personality. You know, I think personality, it's why people want to work with you guys, why people want you in the studio. But, it's, you,
2: know, you know, Kenny, you, you probably agree that the whole thing is you got to walk in the room and, and uh, you know, why wouldn't you be a good guy? Why wouldn't you be a nice guy?
3: Yeah, you're lucky you know, you're why there. wouldn't
2: Why wouldn't you want to give the producer what he needs to hear or the artist what he needs <laughs> yeah. to hear or the other guys in the band? You know, why, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, who goes in there thinking, well, this is my thing, man. So, you know, here's my
3: thing. And you know, Well, if you're going to be a session drummer, you it's about serving. I mean, you just yeah. chose to be a It's not your that's band. Right. Yeah, you, that's you, right. You chose. You're, you really that's like hired being, help, you know. You hired help. And, and and how lucky. You get paid and yeah. play music. Yeah, man, See, for me, on. all that, you know, I became addicted to the session thing. The reason why I got in the session thing was John Mellencamp one day just quit. And I went, oh, my God. I got to make a living. I'm living in in Indiana. So when I, once I got into the session, thing, I was like, oh, my God. It was like the, the peak. You were doing a lot of sessions. But, you know, you know, I'd be one day, it'd be B.B. King and Bonnie Raitt. Next day, it'd be Elton John. And then the next four days would be Bob Seger and on and on. It was fun. Why? Would, and I'm like, I'm happy to be here, like a dog. <laughs> like, I'll play, sure. And I could, so be, I could still be – I could still – you know we could still be ourselves that's why we were hired yeah but the big thing is and don was said in in the, in, in my autobiography he said you know i hired kenny because man he motivates the room and he motivates mm-hmm. the other players and he saves my <laughs> sessions and that, that's that's besides drumming that's a personality yeah, thing exactly right so really we should be thinking mom and dad we, we had a we yeah. had a good upbringing, you know? yeah. We are taught to, you know, get along yeah, with people. It really is. It's true. It's where you came from, you know, and if you were brought up that way. You know, but the thing is, group, if you so. were not brought up that way, then realize that's why people hire. There's a yeah. lot of great musicians we'll never hear of because they're not, they're, they're, they're difficult to work with. I mean, yeah. a producer, right. the producer, right. he's got 12 people in there. Yeah. He wants people to help him. I mean, it's Bill Belichick is the producer, and we're all on the, the Patriots, you know, our That's team. Really we have to, it's a team thing. It's this. The guy, Keith Ferrazzi, wrote this book called uh, Leading Without Authority, and he talks about a thing called co-elevation. Co-elevation is, if Mickey, you were in my band, i go, Mickey, or Billy, I'd be both you guys. i go, you guys, you guys, I really want you to do a great job. I really want you to kick ass so that when we are great. I need you to be great for us. It's not just about me. Just because I get a good drum track and the bass player and the guitar player mess up, song's never going to make it on the record. Yeah. I need everybody. I really want everybody to to do great. And so, and if you communicate, you know, good vibes to people, then they look at you and they it inspires them. And then you, the whole song is great. It's yeah. really true. Yeah,
5: I, I try yeah. to stress that so much because, unfortunately, there are some guys who don't get it, you know, and yeah. then, you know.
3: Yeah. I'm, yeah. Well, that's that, that that's something they're learning in this lifetime. They might get it. They might not. We all yeah, have those things we're learning. That's yeah, why there's always. Nah, yeah, like, only...
5: like you said before, you're always learning. We're always learning, all of us. Yeah. You, you never stop learning.
3: It's yeah. really hard to do that when you're perfect, but you know I have still got things to learn. <laughs> that's that's why there's only one Kenny Aaron cuz of things like that,
2: man. Exactly <laughs> what he thing. just said. It's hard to be well, perfect listen. Kenny and you are, man. I don't know how you do it.
5: No, Kenny, no. I don't I, know I how wanna, you do it. Kenny, I I want uh, I, I don't want to cut you short but I want to thank yeah. you. For yeah, today. you're welcome. So we can get we're going to talk to Mickey a little bit. Yeah. And but I just wanted you guys to hook up.
3: Dude and, Billy. We're gonna talk more about you.
2: That's what we're gonna do. You know? Okay.
3: So just... I I just want to say, it's so cool to see you again. One people would probably think, well, these guys must talk every day. Yeah, but you get caught really up. And you get caught up in your world. Of course. Yeah. I'm gonna leave everybody with one statement. I just thought of that. That you guys just made me think of, and it's this. It comes from a place of being humble. I'll never be as great as I wanna be, but I'm willing to spend the rest of my life trying to be as great as i can be and that's like a running back in football you don't score touchdowns every time but you keep trying that's nice kenny all right you guys so good to see you thank you thank you you so much (laughs) see you all later and i'm gonna cut my hair again
1: Okay, it's time for the shop talk section of the episode. This is Mike Dawson, managing editor for Modern Drummer. This week, we are checking out one of three snare drums that I reviewed in the January issue by Doc Sweeney. This is the Pure series. The Pure series, uh, there's three options in this series. They all have 5.5 by 14 inch shells. They're all steam bent from a single plank of wood. The bearing edges are cut to 45 degrees and then rounded to a slight, uh, you know, shaped to a slightly rounded apex. Um, They're all very sensitive. The whole purpose, they're called Pure Series, so you're getting the most pure resonant tone of the wood as possible. There is a pure ash. There is a pure oak. And then the one that we're going to check out here is the Pure Elm. So of the three, this was the one I thought was the most unique. They all were very all-purpose, could do pretty much anything kind of snare drums. But the Elm was the one that really grabbed my ear uh, for having... Some sort of like aluminum qualities, uh, but still having a nice thick woody tone. So um, this was the one, you know, like if if I was going to have one drum to use for everything, I might use the pure ash. If I needed something with a little bit more bite, I would probably use the pure oak. If I wanted something that was a little bit more in between metal and wood, the pure elm. Um, So anyway, we're going to check out a full demo video here we're going to check out. Um, the whole review is on drummer.com. If you want to check out the other two drums in addition to the Pure Series Elm, you should also go to Doc Sweeney's website. That's Sweeney, S-W-E-E-N-E-Y, D-O-C-S-W-E-E-N-E-Y. Check out all their stuff. They're doing some really beautiful um, projects using mostly steam bent shells. Um, Some of the best drums you can get. So here is the Doc Sweeney Pure Series Elm Snare Drum. And thanks for
0: listening. We will see you next time.
4: Thank you, everybody, for watching this week's Modern Drummer Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode exclusively on Podcast One. Until then, stay safe and healthy,
0: and thanks for listening and watching. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We
1: want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
0: Call
2: 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.